we are going to continue in the book of Revelation. So you can turn there. Now, we've skipped a couple of weeks here doing other things, but we were in the throne room and then we moved into the seven sealed scroll and we began in chapter 6 and that's where we'll be. We began in chapter 6 and we talked about right now we're focusing on the four horsemen. And I spoke about the first of the four horsemen the last time we went over this. And honestly, I kind of struggled to get the, the, to grasp what was happening in the imagery and get it across. And as I was processing it this week, I was like, you know, I think we need to do a zoom out and kind of zoom in. It'll help us to really capture. This is better understood with a overall view of what revelation is and then getting into it and i i have like three hours worth of stuff that we're going to pack into 30 minutes right so as always so i probably won't get to everything and we'll probably have to do another one separately where we dive deeper into it but i i truly when i began to understand these pictures and what the four horsemen were they're not the big scary plagues and terrible things coming to the earth but actually how exciting they were for us it really fired me up and I was like it just every step of the way I go oh my gosh this is amazing so what I want to do is I'm going to read uh, chapter 6 verse 1 through uh, verse 8 I'm just going to read the whole thing and then we'll dive into whatever happens right so let's just let's read starting in verse 1 then I, and this is John as he's watching the Lamb took the scroll, and we talked about what the scroll was. But he says, Then I watched as the Lamb broke open the first of the seven seals. Immediately I heard one of the four living creatures call out with a powerful voice of revelation sounding like thunder, saying, Come forth! So I looked, and behold, there was a bright white horse. Its rider had a bow and was given a crown of victory. He rode out as a conqueror, ready to conquer. When he broke open the second seal, I heard the second living creature call out, Come forth! And there appeared another horse, red like fiery flames. And its rider was given a sword and the power to take peace from the earth, causing one to put to death another. Then he broke open the third seal, and I heard the third living creature call out, Come forth! And behold, I saw a black horse right in front of me. Its rider was holding measuring scales, and I heard what seemed to be a voice from among the living creatures saying, A small measure of wheat for a day's pay and three measures of barley for a day's pay. But don't harm the olive trees producing oil and the vines producing wine. And when he broke open the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature call out, Come forth. And behold, I saw a green horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Death's domain followed him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, death, and by wild beasts. And we'll stop right there. Now, 
What on earth does that mean? That is just bizarre. If it's not, I don't, it's wild. But I read that and I go, what on earth is that saying? This is, this is breaking my everything and my bending my brain. And I'm trying, and, and the problem is a literalist and a uh, person not in love doesn't understand this stuff, right? The word was supposed to be written by people who were in love. And looking at all these pictures and these images, it's hard to understand, but what I really want us to do is that this moment in Revelation, I've been asking the question, okay, what does this mean for Jesus, right? What do I say every single week? This is the revelation of Jesus, or this is the unveiling of Jesus. I say it every single week, and you're going to get there. And I say that, but this, when we get to this spot, I have to ask myself, actually, what does this mean for me? Right? I've been saying, what does this mean for Jesus? What does this look like? And yes, everything applies to us. But this in particular is we have to ask the question this week, and that's what the main thing is, is what does this mean for me? Because I don't have a clue, right? That's what it feels like. And... And so that's why I feel that we're going to do a little bit of a zoom out. And it's not going to be a little zoom out. It's actually going to be a big zoom out. But what are these horses? And what are the riders? And what does this mean? And truthfully, I think this is where the literalist view really starts to fall apart. Okay, so the general understanding of the general people that have come up with is, okay, well, this riders, you know, this is, there's so many different ideas. It's just, there's so many. But, you know, oh, well, this one's Jesus, and then this is the Antichrist, right? So he gets to reign for a while. Oh, and then this is tribulation, and then this is death that comes on earth. And they, and they go, this is what it all means. Well, here's the deal. They go, okay, we're going to take everything literal, and, but then when we come to this part, there's no way to literally translate that. Like, they're using their imagination an awful lot just as much, Right? Because all it said was, well, a guy's riding on a black horse. And they go, oh, yeah, that's, the, that's Satan, and he's going to rule on the earth, and he's come, that's the Antichrist and all this stuff. Okay, you're using imagination as well. Right? So what we really need is we need a heavenly imagination. Right? We need a revelation of imagination because God created it. And he knew because Jesus never... Only a couple of times did he ever, but he almost always spoke in pictures and in parables because he was revealing to us things that we can't fully understand in the Spirit. And I've said that before. So this is what I want to do. Is the question is, okay, what does this mean for me? What does Revelation mean for you? What does this book mean for you? Because if we get this right, and we understand what he's trying to say to us, then all these things actually make a, they flow quite well. Right? And I'm sure you've already asked this question. But what does this mean for me? Like, where, what am I supposed to get from this? And this is what's amazing. The book of Revelation says that there is a blessing for those who read it. And when you really get into the words, when you really get into the words, 
It's who reads it and tends the garden of the revelation that it gives you, right? So it's actually going to give you revelation when you read this, and when you tend the garden of what this is giving you and let it grow in your life, you will be blessed. There are 66 books to choose from, but this one promises you a blessing. That is absolutely incredible. Like, you'll be blessed if you get what this book is trying to tell you. No other book says that to you. So I propose to you that there is a religious demon that goes about trying to keep you from reading the book of Revelation. I really believe that. The more I get into this, I go, the devil has used so much of his power to keep God's people from reading Revelation in the right way because if we get this, it's over for him. Like, whoa. Because, and instead, the devil's very smart, right? Everything that's great in God, he tries to, you know, make it look bad and stuff like that. We understand these tactics, right? You know, like with, with tongues, it's incredibly power, it's powerful, it's for every believer. We're all called to it. It is like a nuclear bomb going off when you pray in tongues. And so what is the devil going to do? Oh, he's going to mess up. He's going to have preachers mess up the word on it. He's going to make people go, oh, that's weird. And he's going to do all this stuff because he's like, if I can't, if I, the more people I can stop from doing it, the less power they'll have, right? That's the way God, everything that God is going to do, the devil is going to try to make it that we're, we're uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unattractive, basically, that we don't want it, right? Or he's going to have a counterfeit also trying to make it look bad, okay? So, obviously, Revelation, he's going to go, well, if I can make them scared of it, and if I can make fear go throughout people, then I can keep them from this, right? It's a, it's a, it's a religious demon that keeps you from Revelation, okay? Because you are going to be so blessed when you get this. And so that is a huge point. So let's zoom out. <laughs> we were looking at like, you know, eight verses here. Well, let's zoom way out, and I'm going to slowly telescope us back in. And all of it you'll basically know. But bear with me. You can maybe enjoy it. If we zoom way out, we're going to go all the way out, and we're going to go to creation. Woo! I went pretty far. I literally went to the back of the book, from the, or the front of the book to the back of the book. So if we go back creation, let me walk you through. Here it is. God creates us, right? And he creates us to walk in the garden in communion. And uh, he says, I want you to live with me, walk with me in communion and in purpose. And I have a plan and a destiny for you before he laid the foundations of the earth. He knew exactly what he was going to do. All right? So here he is. He creates you, right? And then sin comes, and boom, we're separated from him. We are, our authority has been taken away, all these things. Okay, shocker. We all know that part. Okay, so it says that, the word says that before man fell, God had a plan. And Jesus already knew, all right, it says that Jesus was, Jesus was crucified before 
the creation of the universe. Ugh, hurt your brain. But anyways, so Jesus already knew, I will be the sacrifice for when they mess up because I've got a perfect plan, right? Cool. So we fast forward. Jesus goes, I am going to lay everything down. I'm going to become fully a man and I'm going to walk on this earth. And I'm going to give him a blueprint of how to live, how to act, and what it looks like. I'm going to live perfectly, and I'm going to fulfill all of the law. And I'm going to become the perfect sacrifice. I will be their Passover lamb. So Jesus dies. And then on the third day, he raises. Cool. We know that part too. And in that... He sets us free from the bondage of sin. He empowers us in his blood. And he brings us back into communion. He removes the veil. And then he goes, next step, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit on you. Okay? And he says, it's better that I go. Because then I will send the Holy Spirit. He could have stayed. But instead he said, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your helper, and I'm going to be inside of you. I'm going to multiply myself over the whole world. And essentially what that is saying is, as we've, I've said over and over, as he is in heaven, so we, are we to this world. Is that he goes, instead of me being here, the physical bodily manifestation of who God is, I'm going to make them that. Because what does the word say? It says that Jesus is the perfect mirror image of our Heavenly Father. Before Jesus, nobody had been able to actually represent and mirror who God was. But Jesus came and he said, if you look at me, you see the Father. Here's a perfect mirror image. I'm going to manifest his heart, his mindsets, and his actions to you. But then Jesus said, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and as I am in heaven, so are you to this world. That means you are going to be the manifestation of who I am to this world. You are the second coming of Jesus. Think about it. There's many comings, actually, throughout the Bible. But one of them is us. Because we are called to be who Jesus is in heaven to this world, and therefore we are the manifestation of who Jesus is. Physically, Jesus manifested in the flesh. And now we are called to physically manifest who he is in the flesh to this world. So all you have to do is when you get up in the morning and when you go to work and all these things, whatever your life consists of, is that you are actually sent to manifest the person of Jesus to the world around you. Okay? That was free. You don't have to pay for that one. So he sends Holy Spirit in an amazing array of things. And then he gets sucked up and, you know, he leaves. I mean, he left first and then Holy Spirit. But anyways, I'm backtracking. I digress. So, here we are. What we've got is we see Jesus in the flesh, right? We got the four Gospels. So we see these are the works of Jesus and Jesus in the flesh. This is the manifestation of Jesus in the flesh. And then you've got Acts, and truthfully, Luke, right into Acts, should almost just be one book, right? Because Luke wrote Acts, uh, uh, Luke wrote Luke, and then he wrote Acts, and it's all one progression. You can read straight through. <laughs> There's Judah. He's ready. 
So you have the Gospels show the works of Jesus in the flesh, and then Acts shows the works of Jesus in his people. Right? So this is the physical manifestation of Jesus, the four Gospels. Acts is the spiritual manifestation in his people. So now they have become the physical manifestation of Jesus. And then I propose that Revelation, you might even go as far to say, is like the sixth gospel of Jesus in the Spirit and actually what it looks like when he comes into our lives. Because in reality, you go, oh, there's four gospels. Well, four gospels, and then there's Acts. And that, I, that's, that's the continuation of what the gospel is all about. But then Revelation is, I don't think it is a oh, picture of how I'm going to destroy the world and kill a billion souls before my wedding. But actually, what it looks like when I come into your life and what I plan to do inside of you. Okay? Because we don't have a picture. Think about it. Take away revelation, and all we have of a representation is go, well, when you're saved, you know, you're saved, and then you don't go to hell or whatever, and then Jesus lives inside of you. And you go, what does that look like? Well, we don't really know. But we had representations for everything else in the Bible. Right? We understood what the lamb did and how his sacrifice was, the baptism is, and all these things. And then, but what is happening when you and G, when G, what is happening, actually, let's say it this way what is happening when Jesus gets a hold of you? Maybe per, I propose that revelation is Jesus going, hey, let me show them, hey God, let, I need to show them what it is I want to do when I get a hold of them. Because the lie is that when you get saved, boom, one and done, you're not going to hell, live your life however you want. Or maybe you'll be a good Christian if you really want to be, yeah, on fire. But God's going, no, I did not pay, I did not pay for you to just not go to hell, I paid for you to manifest Jesus. He didn't just pay so that we could, you know, worship him really good. He paid so that we could become him really good. Right? So we need a manual. We need to see what's happening. We need that representation. And Revelation, what does it mean for you? Right? I told you I was going to ask this question. It's showing you what he wants to do. Because the journey doesn't end at salvation. It begins, yes? Any person here who has been saved for any matter of time, have we realized that there's a lot that happens after you get saved. There's a lot that needs to die. There's a lot that needs to be changed. There's a lot of things that you need to be empowered in. There's a lot of destiny that you have. Like, there's an incredible journey waiting on the other side. And so, you could believe, you could interpret this as, well, Jesus wants to you know, come kill a billion souls before it happens and release the Antichrist, which is not even in the Bible. The Antichrist is not in the Bible. The spirit of Antichrist is in the Bible. He said that the spirit of Antichrist has already gone out into the world. So there is a spirit of Antichrist. And really, if you want to find the Antichrist, look in the mirror. 
because we have done things and we have lived in the way that is anti-Christ. The spirit of Antichrist is already out there. So, Antichrist is not in the Bible. Rapture is not in the Bible. The millennium is not even in the Bible. Okay? Because here's the problem. When you look at this, here's an instance. Let me give you an instance that might help you understand. When it talks about the green horse, most of your translations will call it a pale green horse. And that's a bad translation. Reason being is when the translators saw that it was a green horse, but death was riding upon it, and they had the perspective that God was an angry God just coming to kill people, it didn't make sense for death to be on a green horse. It didn't make sense. And so they said, well, what, what resembles that better? What seems like death better? Pale, green, nasty. Yeah, let's call it pale green. But if you even look up that word for the green, it just means green. It just means green. And it's used three other times in the New Testament, and guess how it's translated? Green. But it was in that same instance that they said, well, let's call it pale green. Jesus told them to sit on the green grass. The, the green emerald uh, rainbow around the throne. All of those are green. But then this one they called pale green. Why? Because it didn't work with their worldview. It didn't work with their worldview or their perspective on who God is. So when you even translate this and you take perspectives of, oh, well, God's mad, right? You know, and he, he wants to just... Oh, he's just ready to blow up this world, but he's going to give us a moment of grace, and then, bam, he's going to kill it, and then he'll marry the rest of us. Figure that out. So, that's just a perspective on, if we actually look at it, and we look at the word, that God didn't have a bipolar moment and go, man, I love people, and I cast out a spirit of fear out of them. Never mind, revelation, let's scare them all to death. (laughs) Poor bipolar God. No. He said, I'm going to show him this. So let's continue to zoom in a little bit. So then we go, okay, we see the Gospels. Oh, wow, that's a manifestation of the Jesus in the flesh. Oh, that's a manifestation of Jesus and his people. And oh, this is the spiritual manifestation of Jesus on the throne. And he says, I'm in you and you are in me. And he even prayed and asked God. He said, God, make them one with us as we are one with each other. So that means when you get a revelation of Jesus, you get a revelation of you. And before this, it's been fairly simple. It's been fairly simple. We go, okay, we see Jesus in the candlestick realm and we see how Jesus speaks to his people. And we see how he ministers to them. We go, oh, that's good. That's good pictures and good imagery. And oh, that's cool. And then we go into the throne room and we go, oh, wow, that's really cool to see that. That's kind of, I don't understand all that. And we go, it's really good. But then when we come to the scroll, we do have a point here that we have to go, how are we going to look at this? And what, and here's the question, what does this mean for me? Does this mean, does this mean the Antichrist that he's coming to rule on the earth? Does this mean that death is coming? Or does this mean that these riders are coming into our realm when he gets a hold of us because he's releasing things into us? Are these revelations coming out of the throne room into our world, which is us? It's a good question. And so as we come up to this, 
So now you've got this picture of this is the big work of Jesus. My people, my sacrifice, my manifestation, and I want to show them what it's like, and I want to show them what I want to do when I get hold of you. If you cut out Revelation, you don't know what Jesus wants to fully do with you. When you put Revelation in there, you get the full picture, and you're like, let's do it, bro. Let's go take on the world. (laughs) So, what are these four horsemen? Well, as I pointed out before, but I'm going to kind of cover again, they're not coming out of hell. They're not coming out of the spirit realm. They're not coming out of these places. They are coming out of the throne. They're coming out of heaven, right? They're coming from a good place. Also, it takes the lamb to release them. You see, we have this big, scary image of God, but here's the thing. The lion is not on the throne. It is the sacrificial, humble lamb rules the universe. That's his character. And it takes the lamb spirit to release the scroll and the seven seals, not the lion. And as we saw with the scroll, it took a great sacrifice of this lamb to take this scroll. That's us. The great sacrifice that was paid was to redeem us. So when he gets the scroll and he gets a hold of you, you're the scroll, he goes, this is when you get saved, he gets to grab that scroll and he goes, I got him. And when he gets a hold of you, he goes, I got so many plans for you. And he rips those seven seals off. And it's like almost like a telescope. He rips one seal and then another seal and then another seal because we know that God has a process for us that he is going to bring us into his fullness and he has all this to walk through with us. He goes, I've got so much for you. The journey has just begun. And so what are these pictures of horsemen? Well, think about a horse. What does a horse do? A horse is for war, a horse is authority, and a horse is power and majestic, right? Horses carry great power on them. They carry great important people. They carry things and they lead the way and they're very strong. And so it's an imagery of what it carries into our world. The color of the horse speaks of the perspectives and the thing he's going to release. And so let's just look briefly at these things. I, I don't know how much time we really have. I might have to wait for another time to fully dive into it 100%. But if we look at the horseman... The first one, look at the pictures. Understand that Jesus is trying to show us spiritual realities. Is that the first horse is a white horse, right? So that means it's purity and it's holiness. And riding upon it is the conqueror, robed and crowned, victorious. And he's riding in to the world. Okay, what's the world made out of? Dirt. And where are you, what are you made out of? dirt so he's bringing this into your world thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven yes so out of heaven comes the realities and the revelations of these horsemen into your life because you are the manifestation of jesus into the world so he's going to send it into you to manifest it so the first horse he says i'm coming on a white horse with purity and holiness I'm riding into your life. I'm going to bring this revelation of purity and holiness, and I'm coming to conquer. 
And that word conquer means to conquer, conquering, and continue to conquer. So he wants to write, the first thing he does when he gets a hold of you is he goes, I'm going to conquer you. I'm going to conquer everything that's conquered you. And I'm going to continue to conquer you every single day. So every demon in your life, he wants to eradicate because he wants to own you 100%. Every mindset, every lie, and everything that comes up against the person of Jesus, he wants to conquer. He's coming as a conqueror. The first thing that Jesus wants to do is deliver you from everything that is not of him. We get that. We know that to be true. We know that when somebody comes into Christ, they need deliverance, (laughs) y'all. You need to get those demons out of you. That is going to mess you up, right? You need to be delivered from that. Doss and I were just talking about what baptism really is. You know, we've been taught, oh, well, baptism is a, uh, a declaration of your service to Jesus or whatever. You know, it's kind of weak. But in reality, the word says that you are saved by baptism. And it's, I don't believe that it is the salvation of baptism of being restored to Jesus, but it's the salvation of being tied to the world. Think about it. One person said it this way, and I was like, wow, that is an amazing way of putting it. He says, when you get saved and you say, Jesus, I make you my Lord, and you can sit on the throne of my heart, he says, you still have the umbilical cord to the world, and that's why you need to be baptized, which is being dead in Christ, and you need to be raised in Christ, and you are cut off from every act of the world, every fleshly desire, and every demonic stronghold. So, Jesus comes into your life, and the first thing he wants to do, he doesn't want to wait 10 years or 15 years or 5 years. He wants to deliver you right now of everything. And he's going to conquer you because he wants to own you 100%. And so, the the second horse is this red horse. Now, here's the deal. The word in the text, there is not, the word is not red. There is no red in there. What it actually says is firelight. But when the translators were going over it, they went, well, what? Fire-like? How do you, what is that? That doesn't make sense. How does that work? And red's kind of, or fire's kind of reddish, so let's call it a red horse, right? We'll simplify it, make it a red horse. But it's not really red. Like, imagine, I, I, it says it's like fire-like. So imagine the form of a horse, but it's, it's pure fire. And it's burning. And, you know? And so he's, it's fiery flames. And it's given a sword and power to take peace from the earth and causing one to put to another a death. So he comes in, and what is fire doing? It's cleansing. What does fire do? It burns off everything. It burns off all the wood in the stubble, and it leaves the pure gold. Right? He says, I want to purify you. And so he says, I'm coming on fire because I'm going to burn everything out of you. And he says, I'm going to baptize you, right? What did John say? There's somebody coming who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And so Jesus goes, second thing I want to do in your life, I want to come and I want to burn you up. I want to purify you. I want to baptize you in fire. And 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 it says, he's coming to take peace from the earth. Well, Jesus himself said, I did not come to bring peace, but to actually bring separation that father and son would be against each other jesus said i am here to draw a line in the sand i didn't come to bring peace he said and so this is jesus riding on this horse and he's coming into your life and he goes i don't care about peace i care about burning everything up i'm gonna cut i'm taking peace away 
the peace of the world is not real. I'm burning that up. And he says, and he comes with power to put one, with the, put one to another to death. Well, what did, you, what did what does Galatians tell us? That we put the works of the flesh to death. And it says that the flesh and the spirit war against each other. So he's coming with the sword. And what do we know the sword is? It's the word. Because the sword is sharper than, two any, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it comes to separate bone and marrow. And he goes, I'm going to trim off all of that. I'm going to kill all of the flesh. I come with my power. I come with my sword. And I'm going to burn all of this off. And I'm going to bring war against everything of the fleshly peace. And he says, and I'm coming to bring the spirit in there. And I'm going to put to death. I have the power to put to death the flesh. Because it, and here's the thing, it is not the spirit of suicide that you have to constantly go, oh, I'm killing the flesh. No, Jesus did that on the cross for you. This is a revelation that Jesus put everything of the flesh to death, and you get to partake in that. Boom. Kill it. Right? Hey, we're booking along, people. We're making some ground. So then he broke open the third seal. Oh, hey, let's pause. This is what's interesting to me. Yeah, no. I was reading this two nights ago, and it suddenly hit me. Wait a minute, which I've, nobody's ever told me. But you realize that there are four creatures under the, under the throne or holding up the throne or whatever, or around the throne, whatever you call it. But it sounds like they're actually the foundations of a throne. There's the four creatures, remember? There's the, the ox, the man, uh, the eagle, and, or uh, ox, man, lion, eagle. And um, there's the four creatures. And this is what's interesting. There's four creatures, and those four creatures call forth the four horsemen. You see, the lamb, Jesus, breaks open the seals, but it is the creatures that call them forth. Isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting. So the four creatures, which resemble us in the processes of servanthood, of seeing him as servant, as seeing him as man, as seeing him as line of Judah, and seeing him as the spiritual eagle, right? And then we're also brought into those processes of us self, learning to be a servant, learning to behold the man, learning to behold the line of Judah, and learning to soar into the greater heights, right? It is actually a picture of us, and a Jewish person reading this would have recognized those four creatures because they were on flags around the tabernacle in the desert, okay? So they would have gone, oh, that's us, right? And so they actually hold up the throne and they worship him. It is these creatures that call forth the horsemen. So that means it's you and I actually partnering with Jesus that call forth the revelation that Jesus wants to do in you. You have a role in Jesus being manifested in your life. Because Jesus goes, this is my desire for you. I'm going to open this seal but it is the creatures, they say, come forth. They're actually the ones crying out, yes, come on into our world. Come on into me. Dude, we need this so bad. Send that horseman into my life. It is the creatures. It is us calling forth these things into our life. And it goes, each, each creature calls out a different horseman. So in the different processes of our life and the different revelations of him, 
we call out to him to reveal himself in different ways. Right? I, I need you to come purify me right now. Man, I need you to deliver me right now. I've called out, dude, I need some deliverance right now. I need you to come purify me right now. I need you to bring your sword to me right now. I, don't, I need you to prune me. I need you to come weigh my motives. I need you to come war against the flesh. I need these things. And you're actually crying out. And so here's the deal. This is the message I see in that as well, is that you have a direct correlation of how much Jesus is manifested in your life. If he breaks open the second seal and you go, eh, maybe wait. You're stuck. And so the question is, are you going to say, yes, that's pretty scary. He's got a big sword. He may cut off some things, but come forth in my life, Jesus. Right? Come into my life. I need this revelation. I need this to happen to me. I need this to be brought forth in me. And so it is these creatures, they're calling forth these horsemen to ride out into their world, into their realm, and into the realities of his people. And so they break open the third seal, and behold, a black horse comes forth, and its rider is holding measuring scales, and in amongst the creatures, you hear the voice say, a small measure of wheat for a day's pay and three measures of barley for a day's pay. But don't harm the olive tree producing oil and the vines producing wine. This one is interesting. So you've got a black horse riding forward. What, is that, what does that black speak of? It speaks of the darkened minds of man right because god says my ways are higher than your ways and my my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and the mind of man wars against the spirit and it is a darkened understanding and so he says i'm going to release this horse into your life and i am actually going to darken the things that have darkened you let me say that again imagine with me your mind, you've got, you come to Jesus and you've got your own perspectives, your own ideas and your own mindsets and it's a darkened fleshly thinking. And Jesus says, I'm going to ride in on a black horse and I'm going to darken that. And I'm going to show that to be dark. Again, he shows us for the darkness that is in us that we need light. Because in Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, whatever you call it, which is almost a mirror image of this book. When the Shulamite comes into the chamber, she comes to the revelation of her own darkness. And she goes, oh, I'm, I'm unworthy and I'm dark and I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm not good enough. It's the same thing. This horse comes in and it reveals the darkness. And it's for us going, oh, no, I, I'm... I'm look, that's darkness, I can't do that. And, and he's darkening the mind and he's coming, he sings, no, I can't do that. And so he's riding in. And he's riding in on these measuring scales. And he's going to go, I'm about to measure you. I'm about to measure your motives. I'm about to measure your mind. So what is, let's see, it says, a small measure of wheat for a day's pay and three measures of barley for a day's pay. So I think the wheat and the barley speaks of the feast of Passover. 
because it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then it's Passover. And you know, did you know that on the third day in the, uh, of the feast, a, a fold of barley is raised up and waved before the Lord? On the third day. And so, what is it saying? Ah, oh, this is the Passover. And Jesus is called our Passover. And so, our Passover died, and three days later, he was raised up, and he ascended to heaven with his captives before his father. And he was crowned victorious. And in Passover, it gave us that same picture of on the third day, you take the barley and you wave it before the Lord. And it is a symbol of the first fruits. And Jesus is called the firstborn among many. If he's the, first, if he's the firstborn among many, that means there's more to be born like him. And so he's going... I'm coming to show you, I'm coming to show the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus, and I'm coming because he gave it all. You see, it speaks of our Passover and the barley. And what did Jesus do on the cross? He gave everything. He gave it all. He sacrificed everything. And so, during that period of time, a day's pay or a day's wages was a measure of wheat. It was a measure of wheat. And it was about, I don't know, jar size or whatever. I can't remember what they've said. But in that, it'd go, oh, well, that's your day's wage. There's this amount of wheat. That's a certain amount. And so he's coming to measure and he's going, a day's wage of wheat. And he's and at the same time, he's speaking of how Jesus gave everything on the cross. And he's coming and he's going, are you going to give everything? Because what will Jesus cost you? Everything. And every single day, he's asking for all of you. Because a, he's coming with measuring scales to weigh how much have you given. A day's wage is everything you would have for that day. So everything you have every single day is what this rider is coming in for your life for. He's going, I've conquered you, I've purified you, and I've trimmed you, and now the first fruits that Jesus paid for on the cross is coming out of you, and it's everything. So every single day, what does he want? He wants you to wake up and come before him and give him everything. It's not about you living so that you can have everything your way. It's about you living in a life of sacrifice to Jesus. We are called living sacrifices. And so we come before him and we give him everything. And so he comes. But he says, don't harm the olive trees producing oil and the vines producing wine. This is what is interesting about this. I don't want to get too far off on it, but with Passover, you have the Feast of Passover, which was fulfilled by Jesus, right? Because he is our Passover. And then after Passover was Pentecost, right? And that was fulfilled by the Holy Spirit coming. But then what was after that? It was uh, Feast of Tabernacles. 
And is, that is the fullness coming forth. That hasn't been, per se, fully fulfilled. And it's, I think, because this also points, so wheat, barley, oil, and wine are four of the six things mentioned in Deuteronomy about the promised land. And so he's bringing us into the promised land through the Passover Jesus. He's asking, requiring everything, and he's going to darken those that have darkened us. But he is saying, don't harm what the Holy Spirit is pouring out, the fresh oil and the wine, because Feast of Tabernacles is still coming, and it's going to be fulfilled, and the fullness is yet to come. Because Passover happens, and then 50 days later, Pentecost happens, but then Tabernacles, you had to wait five months. So that means as soon as you get Passover and you get Jesus, you can hop right in into Pentecost and get it. But then his fullness of Tabernacles is coming and he's going to pour out a billion soul harvest. He's going to pour out his spirit on the people. This whole churchianity culture is going to die and Jesus is going to be exalted. And we could actually go a lot deeper than that, but I don't... That might be a conversation for more. And the last one, we broke open the fourth seal. He behold a green horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Death's domain followed him. This is what's so interesting. A lot of, if you look at this from the perspective of the scary God, this is pretty, pretty scary. But if you look at it and interpret it through the rest of the word, it's not. Think about this. So, get rid of the pale green horse thing. Bleh, right? That's stupid. But imagine a green horse like beautiful green grass. That's gorgeous. We were just talking about praying for rain and that we were prophesying that God's going to pour out rain and there's going to be green, right? So imagine green, lush grass. That's what this horse is. Green speaks of life, doesn't it? Green, you go, oh, look at that beautiful green. It's so life and it's growing, right? But this is what's interesting. Why is death riding on life? The writer's name was death, but he was riding upon life. But isn't that what the word says? That because of death, there comes life. Because of the death of Jesus, there came great life. And because of our death in him, we get to live in the resurrection life in him. And he comes to bring death to the things in your life that come against the Spirit. Because in our dying, we bring forth great life. That is how the kingdom actually works. If you want life to come forth in you, you're going to have to die a lot. Did you hear me? This is not the, hey... You can just live your life however you want once you come to Jesus. No. When you come to Jesus, you're going to have to die a lot. But those of us who have experienced this, we know that the joy and the life and the resurrection that comes after us dying is amazing. Can anybody else attest to that? That in Jesus, it's so much better to die. Right? 
Because there's all of the other stuff that you could live by. But when you actually die to that, the life that springs forth is so much greater. And so actually, life can only come through death. And so death is riding upon life. He's coming to bring death, but the horse that's carrying him is life. That, and so he's painting this picture. Here comes, here comes death, but it's riding upon life. That, that doesn't make sense unless you understand it from that perspective. And so, uh, they were given authority over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, death, and by the word of the beast. So, he's given authority to kill with sword, famine, death, and by the wild beast. So, he comes, this is what's funny. Death is riding to kill with death. Did anybody else? Is that, that's a, how can you kill with death? You kill and then you're dead. And he brought death. But death is riding upon life, and he's, gonna, and he's going to, and it says that he's come to kill with death. So that doesn't make sense literally, but it does make sense when you go, he comes to kill with the sword, the sword of the spirit. We talked about that. The image coming out of his mouth, out of his tongue, is the sword. And so he's coming to kill with the sword. He's coming into your world. Everything that rises up against Jesus everything of this world that he is coming for all of the fleshly desires all of the things that war against him he's coming to kill with his word his tongue in you he's going to come and he's going to go hey that right there needs to die and that is him speaking his words into you and it cuts and it goes i don't care if that's your motives i don't care if that's what it is that needs to die i'm coming to kill with the sword so he's going to come kill you with his word. He's going to come starve it out of you. He's coming with famine. He says, hey, this kind of unbelief only comes out by prayer and fasting. I'm going to make you more hungry for me than for this way of living. And so I'm going to make you hungry and you're going to starve it out. You're going to say no in your life. You're going to starve that out. So he's going to cut it with his word. He's going to starve it out. And he's going to come kill it with death. <laughs> he's going to set you free from things in your life by the power of his death. He says, my death brings life. And so when I bring my death to you, it's going to kill all that stuff. Because our death is his death. Our resurrection is his resurrection. We're going to get these pictures, people. Because he says, I'm coming to bring my death to you. What did his death do? It set everyone free and empowered and restored and brought to life. And he says, so I'm going to bring you my own death so that you can have it. And it's going to take everything out of your life. And so he comes to kill with a sword, with famine, with death, and by the wild beasts. I honestly, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know what the wild beast things means. I can't remember. <laughs> the wild beast I can't remember I'll bring I'll, I'll come back next week and I'll tell you <laughs> I'm totally blanking at the wild beasts and by wild beasts oh uh, I don't want to lie to you I, I think I remembered it but basically there are things that 
he lets and allows and releases into our life because he knows that it's going to be trials and it's going to be tribulations and it's going to be things that are going to come after us but it's actually it brings out perseverance hope and uh, faith in us you know it talks about that trials uh, produce perseverance and perseverance hope and hope and all these things is that these actually these trials and these things these beasts that come against us is actually what actually purifies us into the image of Christ. I think that's right. If I'm wrong, I'll come back and apologize. Just because. So, let's not go any farther than that. Because there's so many more. And we'll get into the rest of the seals as he breaks them off. Because the imagery changes from going directly these horsemen into this world, and then it starts to paint these pictures of the skies are being pulled back and a new heavens and a new earth is put in there. But here's the deal. When you stepped into Christ, you stepped into a new reality, a new realm, and a new atmosphere. You stepped into a new world, and he released you into it, right? So it, it paints these pictures of what Jesus did on the cross. And so what he wants to do is when he gets a hold of that scroll and he gets a hold of you, he goes, I've got all of these things I'm going to release into your life. I'm going to purify you. I'm going to, I'm going to trim you. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then I'm going to release you into a new heavens and a new earth and a new mind and the new atmospheres and all these things because you are the manifestation of Jesus this place. So what does revelation mean for you? What it means is that it is a picture and a way for you to see that Jesus has a lot to do in your life and a lot that he wants to be a part of you and a lot that he's got coming, that it's not the end when you get saved, but there's more. So when you read Revelation, instead of going, oh man, this is how God blows up the world, but in reality that, oh, this is what happens this is an, I get to see a picture of who Jesus is and his power and authority and his love and him in the heavenly realms. And I get to see that he includes me in things and that he has great plans for me in things and that he wants to pour out revelation upon me, take me up into this realm. And he wants to empower me to be the manifestation and the representation of who Jesus is to this world. So the gospel is not just about, oh, he wanted to keep us from going to hell. And then he wanted to blow the earth up and start over because he messed up really bad. But in reality, what the Bible is about is that God's people and Jesus' bride got separated from their destinies and from their husband. And he's going to bring us back to that, empower us to live out the life, to look like him and to be like him and that it is actually going to be the second coming of Jesus is you and me getting a hold of what Revelation is saying and releasing it into this world and living our life. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He is coming back again. But it's not going to be because the world gets so bad. Look out. <laughs> but because that we look like him. Oh, it's all right. So... That all made sense, right? Good. If it didn't, you can sit with it for a while. I, the reason I said I, once I got these things I was incredibly excited is because, man, when I, when I see this now, I go, guys, let's not just live our lives and you know, try to do stuff or whatever. We were called to manifest Jesus and that Jesus has so much to do 
in our lives yet, right? And so he's got big plans and big purposes and big power to do it. And it's very exciting. And it's inside of you and that you have all the ability to do it. That's what this book is telling you to do. Why does the devil want to not... He goes, don't let them read it. Because if they read it and they realize how much power and authority and love that God has for you and that he's not mad at you and that he's not trying to destroy you and everybody else just because he's an angry God, but that in reality that he has paid the ultimate price to empower them to live out their lives and their destinies, if they get a hold of that and believe that and live that out, they're going to be so blessed we're not going to be able to stop them. So don't scare them. Scare them, guys. Okay? And so you're going to be incredibly blessed when you tend to this garden that God is giving you. Right? So let me pray with you guys. Let me release this into you. And uh, we had one last song that we'll end with and then we'll be done. Sound good? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that it sets us free, that it prunes us, and that it teaches us, and that it brings us into the reality that you desire communion and love to be shared in amongst. So Lord, I pray right now that you would take this word and that you would put it inside of every single person and that they would eat this scroll and it would become their reality and that they would walk out the destiny that you have for them. God, I pray that we would light fires in people everywhere we go. I heard of a vision and a, a dream that somebody had is that, that people, Jesus was walking down the aisle in a church and he was lighting people on fire as he walked by and then the leaders and the pastors were coming behind blowing them out. God, don't let us become that. Let us become fire starters. Let us be on fire for you, Jesus. Let us be fired up in, in encouragement. And Lord, let us see that we are called to greater things than even Jesus did. That a generation is coming, a, a, a people that would walk and live and think and act as Jesus did. So Lord, I pray that you would begin this process in us, that you would release these seals. And Lord, for every single person here that we would cry out, come forth in us. Come forth in us, Jesus. Be exalted in our lives and our thoughts and our words. Let everything be pure and holy to you. We love you, Jesus. Oh, we love you. We love to see you exalted on the throne. Be exalted on the thrones of our hearts and be manifested in our lives. God, I pray that you would bless every single person this week and that they would come into a deeper relationship and communion with you, Father. That nothing would be held back and that everything would be taken away. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.